When I was a kid, and even as a young adult, I had no fear of heights. I was always climbing trees, climbing all over the roof of our house, never had a second thought or any fear about it. Then when I was 30, something happened that changed that. We were living in Maine. It was my wife, Jeannie, and our two kids. Our son, David, was eight years old, and our daughter, Brianne, was five. We lived in a house that had a fireplace, and the chimney was equipped with this interesting device. You know, chimneys get soot and stuff that builds up inside, and they need to be cleaned out pretty regularly. If you don't do that, it can be dangerous because the residue can actually catch on fire. And it wasn't unusual to hear about chimney fires sometimes when this happened. But this chimney was equipped with this thing that had a handle at the bottom down in the basement. And there was a cable that was inside the chimney. It went all the way up to the top. And attached to the cable was this stiff wire brush. So you could crank that handle around and the brush would travel up the chimney, brushing away all of that gunk that had built up. And then at the top, it's supposed to reverse direction and come back down. And most of the time, it worked pretty well. But there was this one time when it got stuck at the top, and I couldn't get it loose. So the only way to get it working again would be to actually get on the roof and reach down into the chimney. So I got the ladder out, and we had a large wooden deck on the back of the house, and that's where I decided to set it up. I leaned the ladder up against the edge of the roof, I climbed up and was just about to the roof level when the base of the ladder started sliding away from the house. And at that point, there was nothing I could do. There was nothing to grab onto. I just knew I was going down. So the ladder hit the deck first, and then I landed on my back on top of the ladder. It was probably about a 10-foot drop. And I wasn't really injured, hadn't broken any bones But it knocked the wind out of me, and I had to just kind of lie there for a minute. Well, of course, the rest of the family had heard the noise and had come running. They opened the sliding glass doors to the deck and saw me still lying there. I assured them I was okay, but this was still a pretty traumatic thing for David. At eight years old, you really don't want to see your dad in a spot like that. So even though I assured him I wasn't really injured, he was still pretty upset. David's an adult now, of course, and I asked him what was the first thing he remembered about that day. The part of the story that I remember firsthand is coming up the stairs, looking out the sliding glass doors onto the second floor deck that we had, and just seeing you laying there on your back, and I probably freaked out. So I got up slowly and started to walk around, sort of doing a self-assessment to make sure I was okay. And I really was okay. The only sign that anything had happened would be a big bruise on my leg. So I went back down to the basement to see if I could figure out how to get the chimney brush unstuck. In the meantime, upstairs, my wife Jeannie could see that David was still shook up by this whole thing. So she had an idea about something that would make him feel better. She got a couple of pain pills like ibuprofen and gave them to him, along with a glass of water, to bring to me downstairs. That way he would feel like he was helping out with my recovery. But David didn't quite get the instructions that the pain pills were for me. So later, I'm sure you were inside at this point, but when Mom gave me pills to give to you, I guess I didn't hear her say they were for you, and... It made sense to me since I was freaking out so badly. I 
probably just thought, oh, these are to help calm me down. So I took your pain pills without realizing it. Yep. Eight-year-old David swallowed the pain pills. So I think probably mom at some point asked you, you know, if I gave you the pills and when you didn't know what she was talking about, she came to me and said, David, where are those pills I gave you to give dad? And oh, I probably freaked out 10 times more because I realized at that point they were for you. And I'm sure I just ran all the worst case scenarios through my head. Uh, it, it was not a fun time. So now Janie and I are kind of panicking because a kid isn't supposed to take an adult's dose of pain medication. And David's really upset now because it's obvious that he shouldn't have done that. And he can see that mom and dad are worried. And we're trying to figure out what to do because this is way before Google. I think our only computer then was a Commodore 64. And of course, we didn't have internet. But back then in the old days, we had this thing called the phone book. And in there was the poison control hotline which we called, and it turned out to be not that big a deal. Everyone survived the trauma. But since that day, I have a weird feeling about heights. Not a big fan. And what happened to me wasn't even that bad. But imagine you're walking along a trail, and there's no guardrail next to it, and the other side of that trail is a 100-foot drop, which is about 30 meters, and the bottom of that is rocks. And suddenly you get too close to the edge and you start to lose your footing. That's what happened to Gil. Real people in unreal situations. There is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. My friend has been shot. I'm in the literally inside the river and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm going to kill you. And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And I jumped on the hood of the car and I held on. And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters. I had somebody standing on my neck. He's better to me dead. I want him dead. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad, and then on with today's episode. Prior to this, had you ever broken any bones? Up until 2019, I had never broken a bone before. It was kind of one of my easy go-to, never-have-I-evers. But October of 2019, when I was 23, I did actually break my clavicle skateboarding 
And less than six weeks later, I also fractured my skull biking to work and spent two nights in the same emergency room that I was in after I uh, fell off the cliff. Man, you've made up for a lifetime of no breaking Yeah, <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah, huh? I guess I decided I didn't have an interesting enough childhood, so I had to make up for it somehow. Well, let's talk about what what happened on that day. I mean, this was actually what happened before that day. This was on your 25th birthday. How long in advance did you plan this trip? Yeah, so it wasn't exactly on my 25th birthday. It was the day before because I actually work two jobs. And because of that, the only day off I have in the week is Friday. So I'd kind of known ahead of time a little bit that I wanted to do something on that Friday since it was going to be my only day off. And I sort of knew that like I wanted to go to the beach, go to the coast because we live an hour from the coast. It's beautiful. It's serene. It's just like a nice place to go and have a quiet birthday, especially because the last two previous years I had kind of like done big blowout parties for my birthday. And I wanted to kind of like find a way to do like a COVID birthday, something quiet, something just me and my partner that still felt like as meaningful as having a huge party. But in terms of like where we went that day, I didn't really plan it that far ahead. I didn't really even make up my mind about where I wanted to go until the day of. And we had been to Hug Point before and I knew it wasn't a very far drive. So it's good for a day trip. And I knew that it was really beautiful. So I was like, screw it. Let's just go back to Hug Point. Yeah, it looks, I mean, the pictures I've seen, it looks really beautiful. What's what's it like? What's the park overall like? Oh, God, it's really beautiful. The reason why we originally had gone to Hug Point, I think we originally went back in like last October or something, is because we had stayed the night in our car in Cannon Beach, which is the town that's like about 10 minutes north on the coast the night before. And the thing that's great about Cannon Beach is that it has really good tide pools. And we had gotten up early. We'd gone to the Cannon Beach tide pools and they were kind of crowded. And I was like, well, maybe I can like do a deep dive on the internet and like see if I can pull up some other good places to see tide pools in the area. And probably after about like half an hour of searching, we had found Hug Point. And there are tide pools there? Yeah, there's tide pools. When you go at low tide, you can see sea anemones. Uh, you can see starfish. It's a really wonderful park. So uh, if you go during low tide, there's actually an old road blown out of the side of the rock with dynamite that they used to use like old, you know, cars on and horses on back in like the early 20th century. And you can get up on that old road and it'll actually lead you over to the other side of the cove that has like a waterfall and it has a lot of sea caves and you can get down during low tide into a lot of tide pools in the rocks. Place uh, This sounds awesome. It must be pretty a pretty popular place. You'd actually be surprised. Not a lot of people know about it. So it's actually pretty quiet when you go. And you had hiked there before? Yeah, we'd hiked there before and we'd gone there early in the morning. So we had gotten to go take the road path over onto the other side of the cove and seen the waterfall and played in the caves and climbed on the rocks and, you know, poked the sea anemone. And who was with you that day? So that day, uh, it was my partner, June, uh, both the first time we went and the day that I went for my 25th birthday. And I got to ask you this, before this happened... How did you feel about heights? 
I actually don't mind heights too much. I think my mom, when we were growing up, was so nervous when my brother and I were near anything high up that I think it was kind of like a pretty early act of rebellion for me to kind of like intentionally get up somewhere high to freak her out. <laughs> so I'm I like if I'm stuck at the top of a Ferris wheel, I'm not having a good time. But if I'm like climbing a tree or if I'm like on top of a cliff, I don't usually get like too wigged out about it. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures and it looks like you're in some precarious positions, like a like on the side of a rock wall or something. Yeah, I think um, I struggle more with having no fear than having fear. I think my mom would prefer it if I had more fear. I think that's true of a lot of parents, probably. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that day. Can you just take us through uh, what happened? So we'd gone to the coast, and we'd gotten there pretty late in the afternoon. We probably didn't get there until about 1 or 2. And because it was way past low tide, we couldn't really get to the second part of the cove that you have to take the road trail to get to. So we were kind of just hanging out on like the initial part of the beach that you can reach without like hiking anywhere. We had taken some pictures on the rocks. We were just kind of like chilling, hanging out. We'd eaten some cakes that we'd picked up on our way out of town. And probably around 4 p.m., we were like, there's still daylight. It's still early. Like, I don't want to go home yet. Let's see if any of the trails that are kind of like in the grass, in the cliffs above the cove, if any of them lead over to the other side so we can get to the sea caves and to the waterfall. So it was not an established trail, but it was kind of like packed dirt trails where you can tell that they're pretty frequently hiked by people, but it wasn't anything marked. It wasn't anything official. So we were kind of like going through these trails and we were on them for probably about 10 or 15 minutes. We kept running into dead ends and we were having a good time because it was really beautiful. It was really nice weather, but we were still kind of like on the mission to get over to this other side of the cove. And we're running to dead end and we're running to dead end. And eventually I find a place where it looks like a trail kind of dips down and hugs the side of the rock wall and looks like it does go around to the other side. And I was like, oh, let's check this out. Let's see if it goes for through. I climbed down and I was like kind of poking around it. My partner climbed down too. And I was like, it was a pretty narrow looking trail. It didn't really look very precarious when we were initially looking at it. It looked like pretty flat, didn't have a lot of rocks or obstructions, but it was pretty narrow. So I was like, you know, like, hold on, babe, let me go first because this looks like uh, it could potentially be slippery. Thinking from like where we were not being able to see that if you did fall you would go over a cliff edge just thinking that like if you fall you might have a tumble in some grass and rocks that wouldn't be very comfortable and probably about like less than a minute in, probably like five or six steps in I'm putting my weight against like the side of the rock wall on this little trail and my feet just slip. It's like one foot slips, next foot slips. And then I have probably about 10 feet or so of dirt and roots that I was trying to catch myself on to no avail and a sudden drop. 
I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what, or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. It happened really within like seconds. And honestly, when it was happening and probably for a good few minutes after it happened, I was completely convinced that it was a dream especially because I do tend to have stress dreams most nights. I'll dream about, you know, crashing my car or falling off a cliff or getting shot. It's like my mind completely did not register that what was happening was real. It felt so surreal and dreamlike to suddenly be slipping and then have no ground under me. And the moment I went over the edge, I'm pretty sure I actually blacked out. Do you think that was maybe because of fear or maybe you hit your head on something? I think it was kind of like 
I do think it was more of fear. I think it was kind of just like a res- a blackout of resolution of my mind registering that I just went over the edge and being like, all right, bitch, like you're dead. Good night. Like, okay, like we're fucking dead. Like you went over a cliff. Like either this is a dream and you're about to wake up or this is real life and you're dead. So just go to sleep. And I remember waking up on the rocks and my head ringing and this memory of the fall playing back in my mind over and over again and waking up still in complete belief that it was not reality until I slowly became to the realization that like yeah I just fell off a cliff and there is blood all over me and things on my body that are definitely broken. What was the surface like where you landed? It was all rock so it was mostly smaller rocks not like pebble size but maybe like garden stone sized so it wasn't necessarily so jagged that i had landed on boulders but it was not like a soft landing for sure and i had kind of pulled myself up and i could see that there was blood all over where i'd landed and i think the first thing i felt was my face and my lip had split completely down the middle and it was so widely split open that actually felt to me like my lip was missing it felt like I had completely bitten off my lip and I could see you know in the blood on the ground that it was looking a little chunky so I was thinking Jesus Christ I bit my lip off like I'm gonna be disfigured and my right eye was like so swollen and so crushed that I thought like trying to touch it and trying to feel my eyeball in the socket it felt like I had crushed my eye and I was going to lose the eye as well. So you were really only seeing out of your left eye at that point. Yeah. And I actually have really bad vision too. Um, My prescription is like negative 3.25, which isn't as bad as they get, but it's bad enough that like when I don't have my glasses on, I can't see past a foot of my face. And at some point in the fall, I had lost my glasses, no idea where they went, never found them. So I could only see out of my left eye and I couldn't really see at all from my left eye because my vision is, you know, not ideal. You're looking at all that blood knowing, hey, that that's all my blood. Yeah, yeah. And because like I couldn't see my face, but I could like feel on it that it felt pretty rough. I was pretty convinced that I was going to be disfigured. And I remember at one point even yelling up at my partner like, Babe, I think I'm going to be disfigured. Are you still going to love me? That's when June called 911. Yeah, so I think they had actually called 911 right away. Like, I I remember waking up on the rocks. According to them, between my falling and me kind of responding to them was a couple of minutes. No one was timing that, so I'm not really sure how much time it actually was. It might have been a couple of minutes. It might have just felt like a couple of minutes because they were, you know, scared And it might have only been a couple of seconds, but according to them, I was out for a couple of minutes. And like the first thing that I kind of realized once I had woken up and came to the conclusion that I was in fact awake and not dreaming, the first thing I realized is that I could hear them calling my name. I could hear them like somewhere above me going like, Gil, Gil. And I just managed like this super gnarly gargled out like, help. You know, when you're in that situation where you're just like, oh, man, I'm fucked. Like, that really, you're just like, it just switches on. You're just like, that is the 
one word on the tip of my tongue right now is help me, like fucking come help me, please. And I could hear them calling my name. And then once they could tell that I was kind of yelling back at them, I, I the next thing I heard them say was like, I called 911. 911, where's your emergency? Hi, I'm at uh, Hug Point. Mm-hmm. Uh, my partner and I were walking across the trail. And we walked to the right of the trail uh, where the parking lot is. Mm-hmm. And they just fell down a cliff and I think they might be unconscious. Okay, so another, okay, so you're at Hug Point State Park, and when you, which trail did you take? Uh, Basically, when you get to the parking lot, Uh you take a right. Take a right? uh, Yeah, and it's like down a wooden, it's like down a a dirt path. Wooden path. Okay, what's the phone number you're calling from? Okay, I'm going to get fire heading that way. Can you go to the parking lot to flag them down to to lead them to where that person is? Yes. Okay, hang on one moment. Don't hang up. Station 32, respond to Hug Point in the parking lot. My caller is going to walk you down the path he took for a hiker that fell off a cliff and is unconscious. What's your name, sir? No, I'm calling can you, can you hear that person talking to you or are they unconscious? I can't hear them. Can you see them? I can't see them. Okay. Did they fall off the cliff on, like, the ocean side, or is there, a, or is there an east yeah, side to the, the trail? Yeah, on the ocean side. Is yeah. he in the water, or is he in, in like, on rocks? Uh, on rocks. On rocks, okay. Yeah. Is he moving at all? I think I hear a voice, but I'm not sure. Okay. I think I can hear screaming. Okay. And it was really within like a minute that I could hear the sirens pulling up to the park. It looked like there was no easy way for someone. I mean, June couldn't climb down and get to you at all. No, they actually couldn't even see me from where they were. They saw me fall and then just saw me disappear and then couldn't hear me or see me until I woke up and started yelling for them. They actually had to backtrack to another, like, further back on the trails to another part of the cliffs to get to a vantage point where they could see down to me. But, yeah, they'd called 911, and they had to go back to the parking lot to, you know, lead the paramedics over to where I was. And then because I was in such a desolate part of this cove, it took the paramedics probably... 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes to figure out a way to get down to me once they actually arrived. You really picked a spot, didn't you? Yeah, I really did. But, you know, (laughs) um, I had so much time to kill down there. It's like I try. I managed to sit up like pretty soon after I woke up and I kind of had tried to crawl around a little bit, but... Both of my arms are just really janked up and I couldn't tell at that point like how bad my legs were. Where were you feeling pain? What was what was hurting? Everything. Thankfully, I think people are really afraid of being in a bad accident or dying. And my experience with like pain usually is, is you don't feel it until like at least two hours afterward. My initial feeling waking up maybe wasn't pain, probably was tear. 
But it was like, I would look down at my arm and could tell that was like pretty fucking broken, could tell that was totally twisted into a shape that human arm should not be twisted. But it didn't like, I couldn't feel it yet. I didn't start feeling it until probably I got to the hospital. The adrenaline will do a lot for you. I felt like actually pretty fine the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes I was up. I was like pretty broken up, but still trying to like crawl around on the rocks. I was actually like, I was pretty determined to find my phone because my phone had come out of my pocket when I'd fallen. And one of the first things I called up to June after like I confirmed they were there, I confirmed that they had called 911 was like, babe, can you call my phone? Because I was just like, oh, man, like, okay, like, this is happening. I've fallen off of a cliff. I'm injured. My face might be disfigured. Like, my arm is definitely broken. Do I really have to buy a new phone, too? So in the time I was waiting for the paramedics, I'd actually, like, been kind of slowly inching around the beach, trying to find my phone, not being able to see jack shit because I'd lost my glasses. And I did actually eventually find it a couple of feet away from me. And of course, I had like 20 missed calls from my partner and they just kept calling and calling me. And it's actually real. And of course, my fucking phone was unharmed. Like me broken. My phone, fine. Guess that's a free plug for, you know, Google Plus. But it was actually, it was a huge relief to find it because my partner and I couldn't really hear each other that well because of how far we were. And when I like did finally get my phone, they hadn't stopped calling me. And so I was able to pick up and actually talk to them. And they were like, paramedics are there. They're just like, trying to find a way down to you. It's really steep. They're going to try to like grapple down. That's incredible. So you were able to communicate with June the whole time while you were waiting. Yeah, it was really nice. I was like, and I think one of the first things I said to them, like the adrenaline, once I finally had my hands on my phone, I think that's when the adrenaline kind of like started to drain out of me. And that's when I started to get really cold and really tired. And I just remember telling them like, Tell those guys to hurry up because uh, I think I might die down here. So the the local fire department and first responders were able to eventually get to you. Yeah. But they, they couldn't get you out of there, though. No, they couldn't. So eventually someone did manage to get uh, down to me. According to June, the people who responded to my fall were um, the local sheriff the fire department with their paramedics and then a local rescue team who I'm still not completely sure if they're a volunteer rescue force or if there's someone who is employed by the county since I'm sure a lot of accidents probably do happen in the area. And the first person to make it down to me was somebody from this local rescue team. And he came, he was the first person to talk to me. He's the first person to like check and he came down. He didn't really have any equipment. So he's the person who just came down looked me in the eyes and was just like, stay awake. I was like, first thing I said to him when he rolled up, I was like, I'm glad you're here, man. Like, I'm getting really tired and I don't know how much longer I can stay awake. And he was just like, he just looked at me. He's like, okay, stay awake. And the second person to make it down was someone, was a firefighter paramedic who actually did manage to make it down with some equipment. And I think first thing they did was they cut my jackets off of me. I actually had two jackets on because the Oregon coast is really cold. And he also brought down a stretcher, and I think they might have taken some vitals from me. But first thing they did was basically, like, cut my clothing off my body and, like, get me on the stretcher and try to protect me from the wind and the uh, surf because the tide was rising, too. 
and just try to wait for the Coast Guard helicopter to get into a place where they could pull us up because this cove was so small and so kind of awkwardly positioned that it was probably another 20, maybe 30 minutes before I could actually get helivacked up because of how difficult it was for the Coast Guard to pull the helicopter into a position where they could safely evacuate me. When Where you landed, how far were you from the water? I, when I first landed, was, I, f- I don't know, it's like, in my mind, I felt like I was far, I felt like I was probably 10 feet from the water, but there was a couple of times where the waves would get close enough to almost lick me. And one point where the rescue team responder actually kind of like, was guarding my body from the waves of the water, because they were really like, about to press up on me. I know there's some pretty incredible film, uh, the video, actually two different videos, one taken by June from that vantage point at the top of the cliff, videoing you being lifted from the ground into the Coast Guard helicopter. And then the Coast Guard had their own video from the vantage point of the helicopter straight down as they brought you up in the basket. Do you remember them putting you in that, that basket? Yeah, I absolutely do, because that was that was probably one of the scarier parts of the entire experience, honestly, because it what felt so precarious, because it's basically like they strap you to a board and then they tie the board to, you know, the rope that then is used to hoist you into the helicopter. And it feels so precarious. You're basically swinging from a string as they haul you, you know, another hundred feet in the air into this helicopter. And when they got me up there, they actually missed the door at first. And then when they could finally like get a hand on me and pull me in to do so, they kind of have to like balance you on the lip of the helicopter and you're sort of hanging backwards out of it. And in my mind, I was like, I just had to keep telling myself the entire time, like they do this all the time. They never drop anyone. Like, I'm sure they do, like, they do this, like, every week, and they never drop anyone. Like, it's okay. They're not going to drop you. But definitely feeling like, yeah, I'm about to be dropped out of this helicopter. Yes, I was watching the video. when I mean, it's and it's not a quick process. It's like a very slow, you know, you get lifted up into the, you know, toward the chopper there. And I could see that they were having trouble getting the whole thing swung around to get in the door the right direction. Yeah, yeah. So once we were in the chop, like, I knew pretty much as soon as, like, I got in the helicopter that I was going to be fine, because I was like, once they can get me on an IV and stabilize me, like, I think I'm going to be okay. My only fear, really, with, pos- with, like, being afraid that I might die before that was that I did seem like I had lost a- quite a bit of blood, and I was really cold, and I was really tired, and I was like, I don't know at what point my body might decide, eh, fuck it, it's not worth it, let's just give up. As soon as I was in the helicopter, like, the next thing they did was stick an IV in me, and as soon as they got that going, I was like, cool, I know I'm gonna be fine. And everything after that actually felt like it happened remarkably fast. Like, I'm sure a helicopter ride from the coast to Portland can't be five minutes, but it felt five minutes. And they actually first took me up to Astoria, which is a little bit further up the Oregon coast, maybe like an hour by car from where we were. 
They took me to Astoria first because from Astoria, they could transfer me into a lifeline helicopter ambulance. And in that ambulance, I think that's when they finished cutting the rest of my clothing off and like did more vitals. And at that point, I think the Coast Guard might have already given me some painkillers and some anti-nausea medication and they gave me some more. And from there, it was just like basically just snoozing until we got back to Portland and they uh, unloaded me at the Legacy Emanuel Hospital, which is one of only two trauma centers in Oregon State. And what were your actual injuries? I do not know how I came out of this accident so miraculously unharmed. It's really every single person who came into my hospital room told me you're really lucky. So the only like really serious injury I had is my right arm is pretty severely broken. Later, when they were looking at the x-rays for it, and I asked them how bad it was, they told me this is pretty much as bad as we see. So that was pretty severely broken, mostly my wrist kind of, and the it had broken at my wrist, but the break was severe enough that I'd kind of gone down into my forearm, and the bone was split all the way through, and they weren't completely sure if the bone had broken through the skin or not, because... There were some abrasions in my skin that they couldn't tell if that was from the bone penetrating through my skin or if I might have been cut by some of the rocks on my way down. So that's really the only bad one. And then other than that, I fractured my sinus, not displaced. I fractured uh, my right orbit around my eye, not displaced. I fractured, I think, two of my ribs, also not displaced. And I fractured my sacrum, which is kind of like the back of your tailbone. And I fractured my left elbow. And all things considered, none of my fractures were displaced, just my right arm was like severely broken. And what I think probably happened when I fell is I think I must have broken the fall for my head with my right arm, which is why I think my right arm was as broken as it was. And my head, thankfully, was as damaged as it was. It really is remarkable I mean, you could have been paralyzed or brain damaged or just all kinds of stuff on a falling a hundred feet onto rocks. Yeah, really. It's like, I mean, I didn't even break any teeth and, you know, dental work is expensive. So I'm pretty happy about that one too. So are you back home now? Yeah, I'm back home. I stayed overnight in the hospital for two nights. First thing they did when they got me out of the ambulance was kind of like give me some milk of amnesia and reset the break in my arm. And then they kept me in there for two more nights and I got, I fell that Friday and I got surgery, not the following Monday, but the one after that, which is about 10 days after that. And that was just a day surgery. I didn't stay overnight. So I've been home pretty much every night since Sunday night after the fall. And this, as we're recording this, uh, it happened just a little over two weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Not that long at all. Are you mobile at all? Are you able to walk around or? Yeah, I'm actually, I was really surprised by how mobile I am actually, because the first at least 24 hours in the hospital, I could not lift anything to my face. So my mom or a nurse had to give me all of my water, had to feed me. I thankfully was able to use the bathroom on my own, which I was pretty determined to do because I was not going to let a grown man wipe my butt at 25 years old. But yeah, I've been walking around okay. The first couple of days in the hospital, 
uh, when I was kind of fresh from the fall, it was kind of uncertain how well I was going to be able to walk and if I was going to be able to take the stairs. But I'd say like 48 hours after the fall, I was actually walking around on my own pretty successfully. And now I walk on my own just fine. Like I went to the post office by myself yesterday and only almost tripped a couple times and freaked every passerby out. Do you think you'd ever go hiking at that place again? Yeah, it's actually the first thing I want to do when I recover, honestly, is because, you know, I, I it's like, especially because I've lost my glasses during the fall. I have no idea what the fall was actually like. Everyone tells me it was 100 feet, but I don't know how accurate that is, where they were measuring from. I feel like Hug Point has to be the first place I go back because I have to see how far it was when I actually fell and, you know, maybe try to find my glasses too because I'm, I'm like, I'm still wondering where those glasses went. How would you evaluate that? Would you go down to the place where you landed and then kind of look up at where you started from or yeah, I would. how do you figure that out? I would definitely uh, go low and look up. I don't think I would try to like find the trail I'd fallen off again, except to maybe throw some sticks on it so nobody else tries to go down there. But yeah, I'll probably, if I go back there and try to figure out where I fell from, I'll probably go during low tide so I can take the proper route and go through the old automobile trail and try to find the rocks I fell onto, maybe trace it with some of the photos we have and probably try to get like a good look up there and see if I can like tell where the trail was when I fell. You've had in the past, you've struggled with depression Mm -hmm. and even thoughts of suicide. How has that affected that mentality? I don't know if it's affected the mentality so much as it has been like a really awesome confirmation of how far I've come as an adult since when I was a teenager. Because yeah, as a teenager, I was like not a happy kid. And I was not a happy teenager. And I was pretty suicidal as a teenager and kind of just like kept sticking it through more out of just like fear than anything. And now I'm this adult who's really happy to be alive, who really loves my partner, who likes the house we live in. I love my job. I have things I'm excited about for my future and like a good relationship with my family. And how awesome it is to have that confirmation that I'm not somebody who wants to die anymore. I'm like a person who wants to live and really wants to live because even when I was in a moment where my body really wanted me to like go to sleep and just give up, I was like, fuck you, I'm staying awake no matter like how much you want me to pass out. I'm staying awake because I'm turning 25 tomorrow and I'm really excited about it and I'm excited about the future. So we're doing this, baby. A cliff is not killing us. We're staying alive. Good for you. I love that. Well, you're going to, you know, whatever your 26th birthday is, you've got uh, quite a, you've set a standard that's going to be pretty hard to top, I think. Yeah, I'm going to have to find, you know, a 200-foot cliff, I think. Have you spoken with any of the first responders since that day? No, I actually haven't. I even like the Coast Guard when they put, because the first time I saw the Coast Guard video is one of June's coworkers had sent it to them and actually said it looks like they're getting ready to take Gil out because um, there's a crosshairs over me on the video. I later found it on Facebook and I'd even commented on the post being like, LOL, that's me. But never got any kind of response. But, you know, if I ever run into any of those first responders who saved my ass again, I'll be like, thank you so fucking much. I'm sure the Coast Guard is used to idiots who fall off of cliffs and need to be hella backed out pretty regularly. But 
those guys who like made it down to me on the beach and you know stabilized my ass i would love to just like be like thank you dude you know i would be in a pretty i would be either dead or really fucked up if you hadn't been there so um thanks now you mentioned earlier that your mom doesn't like for you to climb on things or or get on things that are high up have you heard that phrase i told you so yet I think she's been holding that one back, but she does keep telling me that I really owe her when I recover. So I'm imagining at that point, a pretty big I told you so is coming. If you want to see a couple of really incredible videos, I have Gil's rescue videos posted in the show notes for this episode. You can see those videos along with some pictures at whatwasthatlike.com slash 76. And you may have noticed something new in this episode. This one was the first new episode with an ad from a sponsor. This podcast has been going on for almost three years now without any ads. And I'm guessing almost all the other podcasts you listen to have multiple ads with every episode. It's just something that comes with the territory. So I wanted to let you know a couple of things about this. First, if you hear me promoting something on this podcast, you can be sure that I've already researched the company and verified that it's something I can stand behind. Whenever possible, I will have actually even used the product or service myself so that I can talk about it from firsthand experience. I'm only going to promote products that I feel good about and that can be of value to you. And secondly, one of the benefits of being a supporter of the podcast is that you get all of the new episodes ad-free. With your Patreon account of $5 a month, you get your own private RSS feed, which means all of the ad-free episodes come right into your podcast app, just like all the other podcasts you listen to. And of course, you get all the bonus raw audio episodes that are only available to the $5 a month supporters. So you can hear the ads and learn about the products and services, or you can sign up as a patron and get all the new episodes ad-free, as well as the bonus episodes, which are always ad-free anyway. Either way is okay with me, because I'm just happy to have you as a listener, and I really mean that. And I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again here. We have a great group of listeners and lots of wonderful discussions in the podcast Facebook group. And a lot of the guests from previous episodes are in there as well. So it's kind of fun for everyone to get to know them, and we don't just talk about the podcast either. We talk about all kinds of interesting things, and we never talk politics. That's one thing I will always make sure of. It's at least one place on Facebook that will never have any political talk. So I invite you to join us. You can get in that group at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. We're going to close out the show today with a short story from Tristan. So thanks again for listening. Stay safe, and I'll see you in two weeks. Hi, my name's Tristan, and this is the story of how I gave my parents their first gray hairs. Before this day, I had no significant health issues as a child whatsoever, and nothing significant to speak of since then. But this is a story from when I was six years old. My parents picked me up from my grandmother's house, and we drove out to the Clear Lake for a family day of fun in the sun. At this time, my mom was about eight months pregnant with my little brother and looking forward to laying out by the water while she still had a chance before a newborn came. I had been running a fever at my grandmother's house, a 
factually neglected to tell my parents before they allowed me to wade in the cold lake water. I remember getting my life jacket on and following my dad out into the shallow parts of the water where he showed me some tiny fish. I remember getting out of the water, my mom wrapping me in a beach towel, and laying back in one of the chairs we had packed. I even remember my mom letting me have a sip of her Diet Coke. Her lips are turning blue was the next thing I remember hearing. I could hear my mom yelling, but I couldn't see her. I couldn't see my dad. I couldn't see anything. And after another couple of seconds, I couldn't hear anything either. The next thing I remember seeing was an x-ray of my chest on the light table across from me in my hospital room. Now, normally you might think, okay, an ambulance was called and I was easily helped. Well, keep in mind, this was 1996, the days before everyone had a cell phone in their pocket. And we were at a lake in a part of the city where most of the homes were vacation homes, meaning they were empty at the time. My parents knew I needed to get to the hospital, but we were somewhere unfamiliar and I had no idea where the hospital was. So my dad picked me up and took me in his arms, along with my very pregnant mother, ran from door to door trying to get a hold of someone to call 911. They knocked on the door of five or six houses before spotting the driveway with the ambulance parked in it. By the grace of God, someone answered the door, and it was the wife of the pediatrician who was next door playing darts with the ambulance driver. Needless to say, they picked me up, and I rode with them into the hospital. My dad followed in the van that was almost out of gas. When I woke up and was cleared to go home, we were out of gas in our van. But the doctor who we'd seen earlier had a broken gas gauge, so gave us his extra gas can to get home.